Hi there, I'm Dan Jones, and this is my podcast, Climate Scientists. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for downloading. On this podcast, I have long conversations with folks whose work intersects with climate in some way. I'm an oceanographer, and I really enjoy working in science. I enjoy my community, the community of scientists that I get to be a part of. And I wanted to celebrate that a bit by giving my colleagues a chance to uh, talk, a chance to just have long conversations about their lives and their work and what they, whatever else comes up really uh, during those conversations. So yeah, again, thanks for joining. This week I had the great pleasure to sit down and talk with Dr. Yohei Takano. Uh, Yohei is an oceanographer at the Max Planck Institute in Hamburg, Germany, and uh, he knows a lot about the ocean oxygen cycle and about ocean dynamics and southern ocean dynamics, for example. Uh, Yohei and I go way back. We've known each other since 2009 because we were in the same PhD program out at Colorado State University. And in fact, it gets more specific than that. We actually have the same PhD advisor, uh, the incredibly calm and incredibly nice and amazing uh, Taka Ito, and we talk a little bit about that uh, experience. Like many of us uh, scientists, Yohei is an academic nomad. Uh, even before he went into academics, he, he was moving around a lot, and we talk about that. He lived in Japan and the UK and the US and now Germany, so he's hopped around quite a bit. Um, and we've managed to stay in touch, you know, ever since we both uh, finished our PhDs a few few years ago uh, at different times. Uh, and we've actually started working together a little bit more, which has been great. Right, okay. So here at the top, I just wanted to give a little bit of background information about the ocean oxygen cycle, recent observations of the ocean oxygen cycle, and why we should be why we should care about that. And I thought the best way to do that would be to just read little selections from this article titled Oceans Lose Oxygen by Dennis Gilbert. It appeared in 2017 back in Nature. Uh, it's an environmental science short piece. Just jumping right in, oxygen is essential to most life in the ocean. An analysis shows that oxygen levels have declined by 2% in the global ocean over the past five decades, probably causing habitat loss for many fish and invertebrate species. Uh, now, 2% might not sound like a lot, uh, but the trouble could really show up in places where the oxygen content is already low, such as oxygen minimum zones in the equatorial Pacific, for example. Uh, because there, in those low oxygen regions, you may end up crossing these critical survival thresholds. Uh, you know, most marine organisms, they need oxygen to survive. So if you deplete that, it's going to add additional stress. Those organisms are going to have a harder time uh, carrying out their metabolism. They're going to have a hard time living in those places. Uh, moreover, continuing from the article, uh, when other stress factors associated with global warming, such as increased CO2 and warmer waters, combine with lower oxygen levels, the cumulative effects on marine life can be even worse. Uh, so it's not just about oxygen depletion all by itself, but how that oxygen depletion effect uh, couples with other stresses from global warming. Okay, I'm jumping to the front of the article now to get a little bit from there. An analysis of historical data performed by Schmidtko et al. reveals that the world ocean, the interconnected system of Earth's oceans, has lost 2% of its oxygen since 1960. Moreover, the volume of oceanic waters that is devoid of oxygen, which is called anoxic, has more than quadrupled over the same time period. 
The expansion of anoxic waters not only represents a loss of habitat for marine life that depends on oxygen, but also implies that the production rates and efflux to the atmosphere of nitrous oxide, I guess that just means, you know, release of that gas into the atmosphere, um, will probably have increased because microbes that live at the peripheries of anoxic or nearby anoxic waters produce the gas. Okay, yeah, so they go on and talk about how uh, previous attempts have been made at pinning down that oxygen content uh, change over the past several decades, but the trouble is that the observations are really sparse, you know, especially in the southern hemisphere, uh, and Schmidtko, what they did instead is they performed oxygen trend estimates for the entire water column of the world ocean over five decades, so they did it more in a, an integrated fashion. And they observe a statistically significant decline in oxygen levels for the world ocean and for five of the ten ocean basins studied. And uh, I, won't, I won't read all of those. Uh, let's see. So, interestingly, the authors find that the Arctic Ocean accounts for 7.6% of the global oxygen decline, even though it accounts for only about 1.2% of the global ocean volume. That's interesting. Uh, I wonder what's going on there. I should... Uh, call Yohei back up and uh, or message him and see if he knows or if anybody knows. This isn't really my area directly. I, I don't work directly in um, in the oxygen cycle of the ocean. It's something I, I want to learn more about, but um, I've only just kind of been on the periphery of it for a bit. Many studies have shown that the oceans are warming because of increased carbon dioxide emissions associated with human activities, right? Yep. You put more CO2 up in the atmosphere, you get more energy down here at the Earth's surface. It is therefore legitimate to wonder whether the observed oxygen loss is entirely caused by a decrease in oxygen solubility as the sea warms. If you warm the sea up, then oxygen becomes less soluble in the water, and it can then uh, the ocean water then will have trouble holding on to that oxygen, and it will uh, degas to the atmosphere. Schmidtko et al. inferred that across the whole water column, just 15% of the oxygen loss is due to lower solubility caused by warmer water. To explain the remaining 85%, we need to consider the complicated combination of physical and biogeochemical processes that affect oxygen concentrations in the ocean. Okay, yeah, and they go on, uh, Dennis Gilbert goes on to talk about some of those processes, which, um, yeah, let me just read you a little bit more of that. Uh, so, in the sunlit surface waters where photosynthesis and thus oxygen production takes place, right, because you've got photosynthesis, uh, and in that metabolic kind of reaction, in, in that uh, process, um, oxygen is produced, right? It, the, it consumes CO2 and produces oxygen. And in those places where photosynthesis takes place, oxygen concentrations are generally within a few percent of the value expected if the exchange of gases between the ocean and atmosphere were at equilibrium. The only way to bring oxygen to the ocean interior below these well-oxygenated surface waters is to carry it with ocean currents that act as, oxy act as oxygen sources for the interior. This is partly accomplished by the meridional overturning circulation in which deep convection in the North Atlantic Ocean and around Antarctica transports oxygenated surface waters to the bottom of the world ocean, forming North Atlantic deep water and Antarctic bottom water. Okay. There's a lot more there. It's a nice short article. Um, go look that up and go, um, if you're interested, go find that and uh, dig into it a little bit. It's nice and well-referenced. And the paper is by uh, Schmidtko Strama Visbeck, 
uh, and Visbeck, and that appears in Nature in 2017 as well. Uh, yeah, so that's a nice piece of work. Um, I'm glad to uh, have the nice summary of it as well. I think this environmental science summary is nice. Um, just by coincidence, uh, this past week, I'm going to release this on Sunday. I'm recording this on Friday. There is an ocean deoxygenation conference happening in Kiel, Germany. Um, and they've been promoting this for a really long time. I was hoping to go, but the timing didn't work out for me. I wasn't able to go. So I've been following it on Twitter. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it will be over. But go check out the ocean deoxygenation hashtag on Twitter if you want to see a lot of the slides uh, and tweets from that particular meeting. Uh, you can also look up, there's an account at deoxyocean, so that's D-E-O-X-Y ocean, and that's the official account for the ocean deoxygenation meeting in Kiel. And you can check out that account and look at their post history to see what they've been up to. Yohei's on Twitter as well, uh, at Yohei Takano 3, 3? <coughs> sorry, where did that number go? At Yohei Takano 3, uh, I guess there were a couple of other Yohei Takanos before him. Uh, so feel free to look him up there, and you can, of course, find him at the Max Planck Institute in Germany. Um, yeah, we had a, a very nice nice chat. It was great to catch up with Yohei, uh, and it was great to you know, talk about uh, a bit of his personal life and a bit of science, because even though I've known Yohei a long time, you know, it's not often that you get a chance to just sit down with somebody and talk to them straight for a couple of hours. There's usually distractions and things coming up and you got to go do this, you got to go do that. So it was really good to have this bit of time carved out to just catch up with Yohei. Okay, I think that's it. Um, I'm at Dan Jones Ocean on Twitter and you can follow the podcast at Climate SciPod uh, as well for updates and for uh, new information that's the same thing, right? Updates and new information. Or if you want to send some feedback, uh, things you would like me to change, things that you like, things that you don't like, uh, suggested guests. And um, yeah, I, I'm going to try to remember to do this, but I'd like to take questions from Twitter, actually, before I record these. Um, and I have not been good about remembering to ask about that before. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do that. I can't make any promises. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, thanks for joining us again, and uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Yohei Takano. Let's just uh, jump right into it. Okay. Here we go. It's totally up to us, like in terms of whatever we want to do, mm -hmm. whatever we want to talk about. Right. It can be science, it can be personal, or it can be both, or it can be whatever. It's fine. Um, but thanks for doing this. No, yeah. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great to be here, and great talking to you, and yeah, it's great to have you here, and thanks, thanks for being so open. Like, I liked that you were you were enthusiastic about it. Like, you're you're ready to go. I appreciate that. I'm pretty that, open. You know? Yeah, yeah. I just never shared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, you just need the like right opportunity to come along. Exactly. I guess, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You are. You're you're an open person, and you kind of dive dive right in. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're happy to share. Um, have you always been kind of more in that direction, or is that something that's changed over time? I'm trying to, but unfortunately, I'm not catching up well because I know there are as you mentioned tools like you know website blogs and you know all kinds of different ways to express yourself but yeah it's just it's hard to do all these things and your regular work yeah. and your life and it's just about my time management yeah. partly but and but I know these are very powerful and also the institutes are using all kinds of tools like social network stuff yeah and, websites to you know advertise or just publicly um, let them know what 
you know people are doing yeah. or an outreach and stuff and it is kind of it, it's fun in a way but also exhausting in exactly a way yeah to that's... have to try to do all of that <laughs> mm-hmm. to like oh so now every scientist is expected to like have a Twitter and I know Twitter website, website even of, Facebook everything maybe yeah. a podcast uh-huh. and I say that as somebody who's who's doing all those things mm-hmm. but I kind of recognize the absurdity of like having every scientist do mm-hmm. that and and like having every having that be like a a, a bar or like a hoop you need to jump mm-hmm. through is like to reproduce all of these large scale mm-hmm. you know uh, <laughs> uh, well not large scale maybe that's the wrong way to put it but. Um, you know the, the, these sort of things that traditionally would have fallen under mm-hmm. like a media department exactly, or, or yeah. like some a communications kind of department. But I think it seems like as scientists, you know, we're really expected to be uh, independent in a way, mm-hmm. and we're expected to you know carve out our own little niche mm-hmm. and to you know have a kind of identity. And I guess it's just true that these days having some kind of web presence mm-hmm. some kind of online presence is just mm-hmm. part of that mm-hmm. partly because that's where some of the science conversations are happening you know mm-hmm. it's not just at conferences and it's mm-hmm. not just at papers you know it's mm-hmm. happening online at least some aspects of it i mean you're not going to get into a super deep discussion on twitter necessarily mm-hmm. although i've seen some very nice twitter threads mm-hmm. where they've talked to you know gone pretty in depth into some science mm-hmm. concepts like you, you can do a decent job on a twitter thread mm-hmm. Um, but that's not going to be, you know, you're not going to get the full understanding there necessarily. Right. But it's, you know, you, you, there are job advertisements. There are, you know, opportunities. There are many information. Yeah. People talk about their own own thing, their own like, here's the projects that I'm doing. So, exactly. Yeah. So, so f- not everybody does it, but for better or for worse, I feel like it's it's kind of here. I feel like you know you that expectation of having the mm-hmm. this web presence. It's becoming significant. Hmm. I don't know, some yeah. of my friend doing social science, he's very good at, you know, getting all these information from, like, Twitters, and I was mm. very surprised, and there's a lot of potential in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like you said, it's just this crazy time management thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It is time-consuming sometimes, and some people just stick to smartphone forever, which is not good, I think. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do we want to, we could talk about like you know, growing up, we could start there if you want, and you could kind of talk about like, you know, where you grew up sure, and what that yeah. looks like. Does that sound okay? We could, we That's could, okay. We could go that way. Mm-hmm. So we could talk about personal stuff and lead into the science. Yep. That might be a way to go, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, that's more like a story. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a, a progression. Right? Yeah. You, know, you can think about it that way. Yeah, so don't tell me a little bit. I mean, we've talked, we've known each other a long time, obviously. Right, yeah. So that's one of the maybe slightly weird things about this is like we have, we have talked Mm-hmm. A lot, and we've known each other since mm-hmm. Colorado, two thousand yes. two thousand nine, I think. I think you know? nine, so, yeah. So that's when you came. That's nine years. You know, that's almost. Oh a no, decade. it's almost decade. <laughs> it's almost a decade. Yeah, and we keep moving around, and we keep you know moving, and mm-hmm. uh, so far we we stay in you know reasonable proximity. I know, <laughs> to yeah. Each other, because now you're in Hamburg, yeah. For MPI, and then yeah. you're in Cambridge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's been. It, it, it's kind of everybody says this the whole like it's a small world thing it's a small world it's true it's just it's kind of cliche but it's true like they're exactly especially i guess if you're kind of doing science and in science mm-hmm. then there aren't that many places around the world that are mm-hmm. doing it you know there's there's a few centers mm-hmm. it's not like you can just uh rock up to any town and you know right, look exactly. for a science job there you have to you have to chase them a bit mm-hmm. and uh so, so that that mm-hmm. keeps the community kind of connected in a sense because I think so, it's yeah. happening in these just relatively small handful of places yeah that's why you bump into someone you know going to conference even just traveling sometimes you 
bump into someone. Yeah. I think I told you about bumping into one of our professor yeah. in Germany, and it was a total coincidence. Very randomly, you said you were just like going through the train station, exactly you know? trying to get my dinner, and yeah. I saw like I know this person, like oh, yeah, Thomas Berner, yeah, exactly. and you, you ran into him. You know, he used to be a professor at CSU. Exactly, uh, yeah, we and, were both there, mm-hmm. and you just it, and it wasn't even connected to work or anything. You just Not really. I was a workshop. I mean, different workshop, and yeah, yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> he was just about to travel, and they're like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something like that happened to me once where mm-hmm. um, it was when I went to Woods Hole for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and I got on the ferry over to mm-hmm. Martha's Vineyard and I walked up the stairs mm-hmm. and I saw somebody who um, had had chaired the session of mm-hmm. this math meeting that mm-hmm. I went to and, you know, he works at, uh, I don't know if he's still there, but he worked at Colorado State mm-hmm. Pueblo, the one mm-hmm. in, you know south of Denver. Mm-hmm. And we were so surprised to see each other. You know, it was just so random. You know, mm-hmm. it was on the East Coast. Uh-huh. You know, we, we were both living out in the mountains at the right. time, mm-hmm. the, uh, Colorado anyway. And uh, But I, I guess it gets back to, like I'm saying, there, there aren't that many places in the world mm-hmm. where you're likely to find... Exactly, you know, yeah. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's kind of concentrated a little bit. Um, yeah, so we've known each other a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, you, and you've told me bits and pieces of this, mm-hmm. but I think it would be really fun to go through it because like you know, yeah. because I don't think we've ever had like a conver- like a conversation where we just sit down mm-hmm. and like let's dig into it and talk you know from from beginning to exactly, end. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where were you? Where were you born? And, and where in Japan were you born? Oh, like, so that's a little bit tough question because yeah. I since I came abroad, I always wish like it's it's way easier if I say like, I'm from Tokyo or Kyoto because people have image, you mm. know, where and yeah. the location. But I won't say countryside, but I'm not, you know, from super, super famous place for foreigners. So so that makes me a little bit That's hard right. to explain. But yeah, um, fine. Yeah, just... I'm born in a prefecture called Shizuoka. It's yeah. on the Pacific side, actually. Mm. Okay. And it's pretty warm, actually. Yeah. And, um, Is that like north-south kind of um it's in the main island um, yeah. and if you can picture tokyo it's it's not too far from tokyo if you take uh like the bullet train the fast train mm. it will take like an hour yeah. It's relatively close but it's a little bit uh west from tokyo west from tokyo okay yeah, yeah but it's still on the main island you mm. don't go too far right. there, like west like close to kyoto it's so far from kyoto it's more close to tokyo i yeah. would say relatively. so it's out it's a little remote but you could get to the big city if you wanted to and there are big know. cities it's not super remote but yeah. yeah but did you grow up there or did you move move around a lot i think uh when i was very small i mean the my parents moved i think pretty much immediately after oh, really? I was immediately? yeah so you probably don't remember that first place necessarily not really yeah. i mean i do visit because you know my aunts and you know and mm. uncles and cousins are there so i do occasionally visit but you know, did... that's not the main part i grew up so so they moved immediately pretty and, much you know, yeah i think was... it will be easier to say like it's not too far from mount fuji okay I mean, the, yeah. the prefecture itself yeah it's mount more... fuji is in partly and it's more kind of north right it's like um so japan is like elongated east west and north south so it's, yeah, it's really yeah. hard to say you know north or south <laughs> right. east or west I, I usually say a bit west uh, it's in the main island yeah if you say north we'll picture like more snowy mountain mm. areas in the main island or if you know the hokkaido area the the island on yeah 
in the north yeah, that's what we picture so it's a bit hard to define by directions that's right yeah you the do, shape is like you could almost do a long island and a, exactly like, yeah. along the long axis mm -hmm. of the island and the short <laughs> axis of the island you could almost have that as your coordinate system exactly you yeah. know like your terrain fo mm -hmm. terrain following or you mm -hmm. know island shape following coordinate system right. along mm -hmm. there so that's is that where you spent a when I was a baby, you, do you I kind think, of remember, yeah. you can, do you remember that place, or you know, up, up north? or Not not up north, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the Shizuoka area, yeah, Shizuoka, you mean? Yeah. I do remember, yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah. not as a kid, because maybe because I just visit so often, mm. I, I kind of oh, know, right. but, yeah. So you keep coming back to it, and that right. either, either reinforces that, mm -hmm. the memories that you may have mm -hmm. had, or you generate new ones because you're, you're maybe there. Maybe new ones, yeah. yeah maybe new uh -huh. ones, yeah, okay. But you have a connection to it because you, mm -hmm. know, you know you spent some time I know, there. I know areas, yeah. yeah. And then, and so you moved around Japan a good bit, and then you moved to the UK at some point, right? Uh, not or yet. There's another, so there's more. Okay. After Shizuoka area, and then I moved to place a bit north. Yeah. It's a called Niigata Prefecture. Right. Okay. It's well known for snow and rice. Uh, yeah. Pretty famous and sake. If yeah. you like sake. Is that where your folks are now? Still? Yes. Okay. So that kind of became so that's, their. Yeah, that's the main. Um, place where we where I lived yeah. and my family lived for a long time okay. and where I grew up basically yeah so your family you're moving around for your dad's work I think right? dad's work you yes know? yeah and then after that yes we moved to UK <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want to say a little bit about what he was doing about like his job um so he was in um, car industry uh, a local company yeah in the in Niigata prefecture and I think there are a couple of branches all over the world I think mm -hmm. and um, he always wanted to actually go abroad, so here's the funny thing. So, actually, his major was oceanography in undergrad. Really? <laughs> oh man! And his dream was to, you know, get on the <laughs> ship, go around the world, and he 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 loves ocean and earth yeah? science, and I, I I noticed that later actually, but uh, so he always wanted to go abroad, live abroad, and yeah. he he loves like learning and speaking foreign language. He's good at very good at English actually. Yeah. So and then he had the chance to go to UK. For his work, and and then our family just followed. <laughs> did he talk about the oceanography thing at all growing up, or not really? Not, not really, yeah. But he loves watching like you know documentaries and TV shows explaining all those <laughs> you know conveyor belts and yeah. Earth's climate system, and oh. partly that really did influence. <laughs> It's oh, like it was really fascinating because oh that's cool so you kind of remember seeing that growing I up I do because like I still remember and, like yeah. those conveyor belts and TV shows schematically and they say so if these things shuts down the whole climate could change and I was a mm. kid so I was like why it's it's ocean like how does it connect to climate and <laughs> oh man it was yeah. pretty fascinating but it, it did stick in my head for a while and, that's a good point it's easy to forget that that might like that that's so obvious to us now but mm -hmm. it might not be obvious to everybody no not like, really like, actually yeah like, uh, actually no that's a you know the ocean contains a huge amount of heat and right if you know the heat you know, transport you can kind of connect it but you know i was a kid mm. i was like hmm that's strange uh, there's something slow going on in the ocean and Oh, that's cool. So yeah, you remember seeing that. So that kind of planted some seeds of interest or kind cur of, curiosity. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And were you doing, like, um, I don't know how what the school system was. You know, when did you first start kind of moving in the science direction in terms of your like academic interests? Oh, um, I think that's high school. But mm. as I told you, you know, I, we've been moving around. Yeah, so yeah. partly I was in the UK education right. system, and then I went back and. A little bit difficulty in adjustment, and and then I spent until you know 
college in Japan. So, so yeah, I bet it, it, is, it probably was hard to adjust to mm-hmm. the kind of frequent frequent moves. Like you don't exactly, have a lot yeah. of time to mm-hmm. have get a stable circle of friends. And mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you get you get some skill sets, don't you? You you pick up some like you become able to do that, like able to move to a new place and make adjustments. Right. And, yeah. Uh, or it just gets exhausting. I don't know which one. <laughs> Or Maybe both, my parents both. did, yeah. but <laughs> I didn't get exhausted, but it was mm. a bit sad, you know, leaving yeah. friends, and I did meet a very good friends in UK when mm. I was in UK. And, and you were up near Manchester, right? Oh, no, Birmingham. Yeah. Birmingham, my bad. Yeah. yeah, you just said that yesterday, and I got it mixed up in my head again. It's kind of confusing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. It's okay. Okay, yeah. Birmingham, right, yeah. And it was in a village a little bit outside of that. I think it was outside, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Do you, uh, so you have some memories from from the UK? I do, yeah. yeah. Because I remember friends and I'll talk more about, you know, I love food and cooking. So I do remember what I ate when I was a kid and my parents always said, you always just think about eating, (laughs) which hasn't changed after 30 years or something. (laughs) It's what else are we going to do? You know, we can eat and work and... (laughs) I just enjoy eating. Yeah, why not? Yeah. No, I, I like that too, yeah. I think there are times when I want to be more practical about it, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it it is one of the like mm-hmm. pleasures in life, like enjoying what you're eating and right. enjoying you know, cooking and like, you know, it's one of the n- nice things about being alive. I know. You know. Yeah. Why not? Why not enjoy it? And mm-hmm. you know, you can if you have time, you can mm-hmm. put some creativity into it. And right. I say this as somebody who I don't actually get to, to like I don't cook that much mm-hmm. really because we're just too slammed. We're too busy. That um, happens. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But it and it's. I get too exhausted, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So you, um, you, know, you went to primary. You spent some time in primary. Some school time in there. primary school. Of course, the school system is a bit different. Yeah. I think I was. I, I left UK when I was nine. I think, if I remember correctly, yeah. and then went back to you know elementary school in Japan. So, do you still keep up with some of the folks you you know from here? I from the UK. Do actually, actually only one yeah. for now, but you know. My good friend is now, I think he's now in near London. I did meet last year, and I also mm. know his um, parents actually well. Oh, that's cool. And they're very friendly and nice, so. It's nice to have that, mm-hmm. to have that kind of regular yeah. connection. Yeah. And it, it must have been fun to see, you know, he's he's now developed into a, you know, an adult and a professional I know, person. I mean, and, and doing a job same. and gambling with drinking beers at the bar. I was huh. like, oh, wow, <laughs> time flies. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It's a weird experience. How, it is. Yeah, time flies like that. Okay, so then back to Niigata, right? Yes. And and that's where... Did you go to high school there? I did, yeah. And Although, that's... when I got into high school, and then my dad moved again to mm. U- U.S. this time. Right, yeah. He gave me an option, and he said, do you want to come with me, or do you want to stay? Because I just got into high school, and yeah. I haven't even started. And, you know, I'm so excited going to, of course, new school when you get into school, and... I think I decided to stay at that time. Mm-hmm. So you stayed and, you know... You I decided to social, stay. Actually, I wasn't even and... thinking of going abroad at that time. Mm. I mean, well, one is a pretty... <laughs> it's not... Might not be a good reason, but when I was a kid, I had a bad experience on the airplane. Yeah. I think I had some issue with my ears, so it really hmm. hurt. I think it's a pressure difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was really pain to me, and I, like, I hate airplanes. I just, I just don't like flying, and... I think I remember saying that when I was high school and said, no, no, I'm not going. I mean, I want to stay here. <laughs> you okay now? Can you I'm okay now? now. You're okay now, yeah. 
but you just had like a bad experience. That, Medical you know, experience, yeah. maybe, yeah. So that made you like, ah, I'm, I'm staying. I'm yeah, staying, I'm staying. Yeah, it's uh, it, it sounds stupid, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> you know, you're a kid and you have some, you know. Yeah, it's hard to get over some of those hurdles when you're a kid, right? Mm-hmm. They can be, you don't necessarily know the way to get through that mm-hmm. sort of thing. You mm-hmm. haven't practiced it, pushing through stuff like that right. before. And uh, you don't have a huge base of experience to draw Exactly, on, so like, yeah. Yeah. Of course, that's not the whole reason. There are other reasons, of course. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes you like we, we come up with reasons that are like just the very surface one like, mm-hmm. that, that don't really tell you the whole story, but right. it's just like the very surface reason. Exactly, like, yeah. There's more underneath the... More underneath, yeah. yes. I think I know why now, but... <laughs> well, you probably, I'm guessing, you know, wanted to widen, like have some friends and have a social circle and... I think it's, it's about social you know, circle, and I think I was comfortable there at that yeah. time, and yeah, I, I didn't find a strong reason to just, just move somewhere mm-hmm. again and, mm-hmm. you know, start a new life. In this case, it's yeah. U.S. high school, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, but it's nice your dad gave you the option to stay, because mm-hmm. that, that means that he recognized that, you know, you might need to stay for your own right, sense yeah. of self and mm-hmm. your, own, your own development, and yeah, and you said that's where you, you started kind of academically doing a bit of a bit more science stuff or that's where you maybe so the thing is so my dad went abroad yeah uh, yeah. first alone again Mm -hmm. and you know you know my mom has to go back and forth and my grandpa starts to get old grandma grandpa starts to get old so we have to Mm -hmm. sometimes take care of them right so i spent a long time with them too when i was in high school but i think it was tough for my parents because particularly my mother has to go back and forth all the time and that's a lot of you know energy requirement yeah exactly yeah for sure and um, yeah, but you know, when you're in high school, you start to learn, you know, more details in science stuff. And um, I don't know in U.S. system, but in Japan, we do start learning calculus. Mm-hmm. When we we're sixteen, seventeen. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty... We all have to take basic calculus, and if you go <laughs> the science, you know, direction, you get more advanced um, training in calculus actually. And yeah, that's good. I really like. Calculus is the first mm-hmm. math class where it really felt dynamic to me. You know, you right. talk about things changing. I think I do things, understand, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, things changing, and here's how we predict and mm-hmm. talk about the, you know, motion of ball flying through right. the air and, mm-hmm. you know, systems evolving over time. So that, that was a really exciting class mm-hmm. for me. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's neat that, that you got exposed to it so early because I think it's it's unfortunate that, like, in the U.S. system, calculus is almost held up as this like oh it's so difficult but mm-hmm. I, I don't know and i don't want to dismiss anybody's you know mathematical difficulties because you know sometimes you know, math does math makes everybody feel stupid sometimes mm-hmm. right and somewhere the math makes everybody feel stupid but i think we, we do kind of a disservice to people by by kind of saying oh this is going to mm-hmm. be so hard mm-hmm. you know I, I mean i wonder about that sometimes like you know the the like with my, with our son, you know, I, I, well, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly, <laughs> but I just wonder how much of people's reluctance to really like do math comes mm-hmm. from this anxiety mm-hmm. of like they don't want to feel stupid, they don't they don't want math to make I them feel bad. I think I have bad. that too, actually, yeah? and yeah, <laughs> like they don't want to feel dumb. But what what really needs to be said is like mm-hmm. math makes everybody feel stupid sometimes mm-hmm. you know and, and even professional mathematicians i think so you know yeah. they they can easily find areas of mathematics that will make them go oh i don't know this makes yeah. me feel really inadequate and i don't know if you know what i'm doing um so i think we could normalize that experience mm-hmm. so i guess just by having everybody take calculus you mm-hmm. know you can kind of say 
Well, this is a normal thing that we all, you know, that we go through, that we all, you know. Right, at least curriculum-wise, yeah, everybody has a chance to learn, but there are also, you know, difficulties and problems in some educational systems, and I, I necessarily didn't learn applications when I, you know, took calculus in, you know, class. It's yeah. mostly about calculations. And I noticed later, you know, it's a tool you can express some, you know, physical yeah. stuff, some phenomena. Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? I did like it when I noticed, oh, wow, it connects like this. And I know some people are just interested in like, you know, this equation looks great, which is, which is good. That's, I think that's more mathematician way yeah. of thinking. That's yeah. what my teacher told me. And there are other people who likes more application. Like these are tools that can express some, stuffs yeah. in natures and i think that, that mostly <laughs> yeah. caught my interest rather than just staring at equations yeah so. my my calculus teacher who was very very good and mm-hmm. a very good instructor um he didn't necessarily know what the physical interpretation mm-hmm. involved you know I, I remember asking him like what's the inter- like what does the curl of a mm-hmm. vector field mean mm-hmm. and he was just like i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know he's like this is how you do this operation <laughs> and here is properties i know, you know i know some people do that yeah, yeah uh-huh. that was a very mathematical approach yeah. to like mm-hmm. he doesn't worry about you know mm-hmm. what how do i interpret this quantity exactly, yeah. it's just like well, this is what it does and mm-hmm. this is how which is you know that's fine that's for, fine for, yeah. for a math mm-hmm. class you know mm-hmm. that's i understand where he was coming mm-hmm. from you know this, this, he just thinks about the whole structure of mathematics right. mm-hmm. differently he sees it as like an end in itself mm-hmm. as opposed to something that you then you know right. go on and do something with <laughs> yeah but so, so you said you got kind of excited when or engaged when you saw that oh you can do something with this you can apply right this. but i don't know now but a while ago i mean when i was in high school we did also have physics class but that wasn't necessarily connected with all those math thing we learned oh yeah there might be a curriculum restriction at that time that you cannot teach you know using calculus to explain some which is very strange in the end i thought but it's, it's weird if you know that everybody has gone through calculus right like, so you have to learn you know, conceptually first yeah, and yeah. try to not use calculus mm-hmm. which i think that's how you start maybe I, I, yeah. you're a physics instructor you might know better but it's just a high school system work like mm. that and conceptually it's okay i mean it's I okay that's, i mean that's it's, good it, that it's can very be, helpful yeah but... that can be a healthy way to start mm-hmm. because what you one of the things you don't want to do, you don't want to just learn the equations mm-hmm. without learning the ideas, because then you, you don't really understand physics, then no. you just have a bunch of equations that you plug numbers into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the concepts are super important. You've got you've to have this. Right. I would even say, like, I, I think I kind of agree with, mm-hmm. with that perspective, with that arrangement, mm-hmm. teaching arrangement. Uh, that you mentioned where you say, well, let's put the emphasis on the concepts exactly. and the ideas. Rather than using, you know, fancy mathematical to explain something. Yeah, that's right. That Those are important for the people who will be, you know, using those tools to mm-hmm. make specific predictions. Exactly. But yeah. the, you know, the, the, the core of it should be understanding the physical, mm-hmm. like what is kinetic mm-hmm. energy? What is potential energy? Mm-hmm. Like if you can understand and represent that mm-hmm. in some simple equations, mm-hmm. then that, that's, that's good. That's mm-hmm. a good start. Um, but if you know what the equation for potential energy mm-hmm. is, but you don't know what it means, then that's mm-hmm. not that's not a good situation. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the and uh, so we went. Where did you go to university? Um, actually, before going to that, yeah, yes, yeah. this one more thing. So Please, yeah, feel free. After high school, I think I really struggled studying, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll be honest, I really struggled grading grade wise, yeah. and. Um, Part of the reason is I, I'm a very slow learner, so I really get stuck in very simple thing mm. and just start thinking, which it's not 
necessarily good for problem solving. Mm. I don't know if you know this culture, but you know, for like test taking. Exactly, you know, Asia is yeah. a bit more test taking culture. I mean, I think until I get to high school, I had like the motivation. I really want to go to this high school, and I should study. And and but after I went to high school, I think I really got lost a bit mm. and like, what do I want to do? And I was like, and I didn't have like. A good motivation to just study to get a good grade in test. I mean, right. I'm. I know it helps when you grow up. I noticed, <laughs> but at that time, I didn't realize that, and I was really slow. And so there was a big emphasis on you know answer these questions quickly. That's my personal impression. Yeah. yeah so I. It's not. I didn't have you know, kind of have yeah. a chance to enjoy it more. Well, I've seen how deeply you、uh-huh. like to go into、mm-hmm. subjects and how you really like to understand you know every part of the process、mm-hmm. yes exactly that that was kind of my、yeah. habit so i was like why is it going this fast and like i can't、yeah. catch up i was like <laughs> i think that kind of i can sympathize with、mm-hmm. that kind of arrangement for sure that kind of mental arrangement、mm-hmm. for sure M- mental uh, 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 uh what's the word i'm looking for kind of preference、mm-hmm. um because uh i think that that kind of mindset is good for science、mm-hmm. right because in science Every step of the way,、mm-hmm. there might be an assumption you need to think about, right? Exactly. An assumption、yeah. you need to、mm-hmm. question.、Mm-hmm. It's like, hang on, is that really true?、Mm-hmm. Why is that true? Let me think about that. Hang on, wait. That's exactly what science should be doing. Right. <laughs> science wise, it's good, <laughs> but for test wise, that's not necessarily good. And、yeah. um, I, I know at some level it's good to earn these skills, but and of course, if you want to go to you know college or university, what people call prestigious, you do have to pass all these exams, and that that was a really But you're right that it's a different skill set. It's like it's a different skill set. The ability to take tests and do well on tests. Yeah, it, it's, it's different, different skill, skill set sets. Exactly. Like the kind of skills you might need to be a good scientist、mm-hmm. or a good analyst. Right. Good. Like it's just not this. We, we're not testing people on creativity or on how interesting. Right. It's are, just about are, what you know, know kind can, of a directions. But can you jump through this hoop and、mm-hmm. answer this math question? You know, can you can you like the physics GRE? Can you、mm-hmm. answer a hundred? Kind of, right, you know, <laughs> it's similar to GRE, I think. Yeah, the the、right. exam. Well, not that extreme, but well, it's kind of extreme. Yeah, the、actually. physics GRE was was pretty intense. Yeah, you know, it's it's a hundred questions, and a couple of them are easy, but most of them I'd say are like moderate, moderate difficulty. Exactly. You know, so for a physics undergrad, that's what、student. we all have to take before、mm-hmm. going to college. I think there are two step systems. So one is like you know. Common exam we all have to take, and then each university has a specific exam that it's most must be written. Oh really? Oh, for the universities have the exams. University has the exams.、Oh. Well, private school is a bit different, but、okay. at least for national university, that's how it works. I think the system hasn't changed. Is it the same for all the national universities? All the national university, you have to first take、uh. the like a. It's not GRE, but like a common exam, right,、okay. uh, including all the subject, most of the subject, and and then if you. You know, get a certain grade, and then you can move on to basically、hmm. university-specific exam, which each university have their own questions.、Wow. And it's pretty intense,、yeah. actually. But so you had to navigate your way through a a testing culture, even though you know your brain isn't set up to Exa- exactly for like, for for like that、mm-hmm. kind of、mm-hmm. you know that's just not what you're、mm-hmm. the best at necessarily is what、right. is what I hear you saying. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, yeah. You've you know you've totally got. I mean, you're a Doctor now you get a PhD <laughs> so you clearly have you know many skills、uh-huh. and, and can dig really deeply into a problem.、Right. Um, so that's I think that's a really important like idea to get out there that like you know your、um, you know test taking success is not a predictor of your you know ability to not to always be but I know to some extent、enough. and I do understand why people do you know use、mm. those things to 
judge someone.、Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a good word to say, but well, the thing is, in you know, maybe most of the Asian system, you know, those basically people think you know kind of determines the direction of your life. Going to good、mm-hmm. school, going to good company, those culture was still there, you know, and、um, there's some pressure like that in in the West too. Yeah, I think it's the same, and maybe. All countries, but you know the levels a bit different. Yeah. And in 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 Japan, I I felt like if you couldn't go to you know, I don't like this word prestigious university. People think eh,、ah. mm. which is not true. No, that's definitely not true. I I just want to strongly say that、mm. you know everybody has a different pace. Everybody has a different way of understanding. Yeah. The most you know, I think dangerous thing is to just discourage someone and just give it up so quickly. I was like. Oh, I didn't get a good grade in my test. Maybe I'm not suitable doing、uh, it. I mean, sometimes this is how teacher like lead you. And for example, I really love English and like you know reading Japanese. So I was kind of good at those things. So people recommended me not going to science direction, but instead going somewhere else because、huh. I wasn't grade wise good at math or physics. I、yeah. just liked it, but I just wasn't good. So. <laughs> But I don't know. I somehow didn't follow my teacher's advice. I no. I still like this. I'm gonna go this. Even in, though I had、yeah. a bad grade, I'm still gonna go. And you had an instinct. You had like I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I somehow had an instinct and that you knew you knew somehow that the tests weren't everything. That your grades weren't everything. I try to think you know, that way, like, but you know, also、yeah. there's a social pressure. Like being、mm. like you no know, test is a significant thing. But. Yeah, so you had a, a, a positive <laughs> a stubbornness, like no, Some, somehow, no, yeah. yeah. I think I do have a stubbornness, and <laughs> they can be good. They can be really good. You know, I mean, it's it's exactly what you need to get back to the science thing. It's exactly it's what、so、you need to do. But it's so hard with all those, yeah, social pressure and trying to, you know, make confidence.、Mm. Well, it's true if your whole kind of social system is pushing back against you. Exactly, that could happen sometimes. You've got to have a real reservoir of、mm-hmm. internal confidence to. You know, push against that. Right. Where do you think you got that? Where do you think you got the internal confidence to push back? I still actually don't know.、Yeah. I I know at least one one of my high school physics teacher. He he he's the only person who encouraged me. Like, don't worry if you're still understanding.、Mm. That's okay. And that's the only thing I remember of somebody who encouraged me. But other than that's, that, that's all you need sometimes, right? I and, do need some time. Yeah, and I mean, it,、uh, your folks are—they're supportive people. There are supportive there. people, yeah, but yeah. not necessarily everyone's supportive. And I—I I know my reality. Looking at my grades, I was like, yeah,、mm. <laughs> mm. which make me think, but, but you know what? English and writing skill, those are all necessary for any kind of job,、oh, even sure, though it's、yeah. science. So English actually really, really helped after <laughs> I went to you know, yeah, science major in grad school. Like, cause, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I. At my time, I think in in Japan, even if you major like science, my gut intuition is not not everyone is really good at writing or speaking、hmm. English, or they're not well trained to do that. I mean, they recognize the importance, so that now they're trying to change the training system.、Hmm. But I think at my time, everybody was really hesitant or reluctant to you know trying to speak English if you、hmm. go to international conference or had a huge difficulty reading English textbook. But I didn't have that, so I was like, right, yeah. Do Do you think? I mean, you mentioned that your dad is good at languages, and you know, I don't know, maybe you got some of that from him, and then you you moved abroad. I think definitely my parents' of, you know, effort did help.、Yeah. I think my dad trying to sustain my English after we went back to Japan, so I did went to like English class、yeah. with native speaker,、mm. talked to me all the time, like every week, and th- those really helped sustaining. Otherwise, you can easily just forget.、Yeah. 
Yeah, it unlocks a lot of doors, and like native speakers mm -hmm. of, of you know English, like myself, were mm -hmm. super privileged in that mm -hmm. way. You know, just the language we started with mm -hmm. is just you know you can go to so many places exactly. all over the world. Exactly, it really opens yeah. an opportunity. So, so that was that was really good, Bob. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, that's really good preparation for mm -hmm. like being out, out in the everything world. Everything just know, went so. well in the end, but yeah. we weren't planning, of course, <laughs> everything. Is, it's just something I went through, and, and, and in the end, no, something I learned. So You can't plan it. There's no planning. No, not really. <laughs> you but you, you know knows. the system sometimes in Asia. They, you know, parents sometimes want to plan on for your mm. children, like, go to this school, go to this company. Oh, right. And he's like... That happens in the, in the States and okay. in the West, too, to some okay. extent. But I think... Um, you know, there's there's also a recognition in the West that you can go way too far with that kind of mm -hmm. parental pressure, mm -hmm. and then it can actually have the opposite effect. You know, mm -hmm. you can put so much pressure on your kid that right. they can just collapse under the weight of it. That and, could and, happen. And just yes. push back yes. against you and say like, "You are putting too much on me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm figuring out how to be a human in the mm -hmm. world and how to like <laughs> stand up straight and have exactly, words yeah. come out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And you're you're putting way too much pressure about the rest of my life on onto me." And it's just, you know, that that weight can be way too much. and uh, so I think that have, happens kind of in Japan, too. Yeah, yeah. Not, not all kids yeah. can adjust to those things. Do so you get kind of a rebellious, you know, pushback against it sometimes? Yeah, although my parents weren't really pushing, putting mm. pressure on me, so that, that's good. Yeah, but they were trying to equip you with tools that they thought would be helpful. You know, I think so, yeah. Good. At, yeah, at yeah. least my dad noticed that if you keep your English skills, it will really help, and it did really help, nice. actually. So. I think that's what, I mean, that's... All you can do as a parent, right, is you can try to like give mm -hmm. your kid hopefully some tools that like I think, right tools I think this or might... opportunity or just <laughs> like I don't know what you're gonna do and mm -hmm. what the world's gonna be like. Yeah. But I hope here have this mm -hmm. sword, have this you know shield, and I hope you know go out into the world. Yeah, it's I, up to you what you're gonna do. And yeah. yeah. I hope you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so you went to university yeah. and in the system there, do you pick like a a major type thing and do you specialize in a particular uh, thing and mostly yes we do and i did big physics major physics yeah uh, that's yes right. yep. when i went to yeah. university um it was actually nice because um yeah i think i also did struggle when i just got into you know university because you have to really catch up on many mm. things and you know all those like you know um elementary mathematics and physics start to come in and you have to really yeah. connect everything together and there's also there's a test of course in university yeah. so i did struggle adjusting a mm. bit but yeah i did manage to do that in one or two years and yeah and i also still try to keep my english so one or two years so so there's four like, years you know, college okay, yeah. i remember my first year i was really struggling mm. so okay. my grade wasn't that really good so i really have to relearn retake many things trying to run the basic concept and stuff and also i wanted to keep my english you know mm -hmm. skills on some level so right. i did i was putting a lot of energy studying english and that's when i started to watch uh situation comedy actually yeah that really helped my listening <laughs> comprehension skills and what what yeah which ones were helpful for you so i think i told you many times but at that time i really loved the show friends I think a lot of people use that. I think a lot of like non non-native speakers use that show. Yeah, yeah. it's big, it's now it's a bit old, but yeah. actually my mother really loved that show and she was watching all the time actually. Mm. The surprising thing was she doesn't speak English. She she only knows a couple of, you know, words and, you know, conversational phrase, but she she knew what's going on in the TV show, every yeah. single yeah. detail. Like 
wow. It's like, how, how do you do that? Like, you just observe carefully and try to read the situation yeah. and try to lead the flow, and then you will get all the situation. Like, a lot of it's nonverbal. You know, a lot of it's just gestures and facial exactly. expressions. Exactly. So and, that's when know. I learned, oh, yeah, it's not just about, you know, yeah. speaking, but it's everything you express to yourself. And, yeah. And I really love gestures. So. You can just watch how people are moving and exactly, you know, looking yeah. at each other. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So you did physics, and then um, when did you start kind of thinking that you might do something ocean related or connected to the oh, you know like, okay what? um so you, you went on a cruise at some point like a research cruise right i did that but a be- bit before that i had a chance to take like a meteorology course um taught by an instructor from outside the university i went yeah. he was really good actually he showed a lot of tank experiments oh nice very Ro- cool tank experiment tank exactly you know? rotating yeah. tank and he demonstrated angular momentum using a umbrella or something i mean he he did make some cool tool, open and closing, so you you get to know like the oh, figure right. skating. Okay. I think it was based on the bladder or something, but he was make he makes some cool tool to show the you know, visual oh. aid of angular momentum. I was like, whoa! So you have like a closed something like a closed umbrella, <laughs> closed umbrella and spinning, spinning, and, and then you when it open expands, it exactly, yeah, it slows down, mm-hmm. yeah, because the angular momentum is the same, exactly. But then the moment of inertia mm-hmm. changes, exactly, yeah, you know, it gets bigger as the <laughs> umbrella expands uh-huh, uh-huh. and so the angular speed has to go down to keep right, the, right. the angular momentum constant mm-hmm. oh, that's a cool that's a cool idea so he was a great teacher actually and i mean con- connected that oh sorry go ahead yeah oh sorry yeah uh, he connected that to you know weather and angular momentum and, exactly uh, yeah. yes so there was physics included chemistry included meteorology earth science included and mm. it was really fascinating and he, he's really good at teaching conceptually and both mathematically yeah. do you remember remember who it is i do uh yeah. his name was uh dr ryuji kimura yeah actually he's very well known for those gfd tank experiments he went to those early stage gfd woodsfall thing i think i have to remember correctly oh. you know the was for gfd program yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that has yeah. a long history i think he was there a very early stage and i realized later he he's pretty well i mean really well known actually in our field yeah. and even our advisor noticed him as a name. I'm like, oh, wow, you learned meteorology from him. I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh. Just as, as an undergrad, just as an yeah. undergrad. Yeah, it was just yeah. lucky because he mm. just, it was just invited to teach a semester of meteorology course, and I was really fascinated by that. Yeah. And what was the university? It was uh, Toka University. Yeah. It's a private school, and when I say I majored the oceanography in grad school, they they usually think, oh, did you go to oceanography department? That's because that's a couple of places where they have oceanography department in Japan, the yeah. Tokyo University. But actually, my major was physics. So, right. no, I didn't went to, went to oceanography. I was majoring <laughs> physics. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's, that's, that's a great... So you had lots of these um, visual you know, demonstrations. I did. And... I think that really triggers interest in me. Like, oh, mm-hmm. so you can explain all these atmospheric flows, oceanic flows by physical laws and... It's hmm. very fascinating. I think the other thing was um, I had have a chance to learn, you know, a bit of introduction of science of complex system. Right. Yep. Which somehow fascinated me and every part interacts with every exactly, other part yeah. on every time scale. Uh-huh. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's pretty different from all those, you know, quantum mechanics or you know, relativity you learn in hmm. physics department and and I realized no, Earth is already a complex system. It's it's a practical application, and yeah. everything then went together. And like, okay, this is what I should measure. And nice. Okay, so everything kind of kind of converged started, started at the converging, end. Yeah. Exactly, started yeah. coming together. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is the direction. So what did you do after that? How did you follow it? Um. So then, um. 
I, you know, decided to go to graduate school, yeah. basically. But the thing is, there's only very limited place you can study, you know, meteorology or earth science in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to think a little bit. And um, one thing I thought about it is somehow in my department, there are a lot of PhD holders. I mean, what I mean by PhD holders is they got PhD from some different country outside Japan. Okay, right. I forgot how many, but there are three or four, you know, PhD folders from different countries. So, so you, I had a chance to expose like somebody who went to grad right. school abroad. So you knew that was possible. That that was yes, I knew option. it was possible, yeah, and yeah. I also somehow heard about the research assistant system. Yeah, it's I know it's common in you know U.S. I mean, if you get into university, you usually get, I think almost. Hundred percent. I wouldn't say hundred percent. It's pretty common in science. Science field, yeah. getting research assistant or teaching assistant mm-hmm. to you know support financially. I yeah, think. it's kind of like getting an apprenticeship, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, you you are paid to do something. Right. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's not you're sort of still going to school, but mm-hmm. you're really you know you're paid mm-hmm. to keep learning and keep developing right. and to contribute to you know a research program exactly. or, or to or, teach and yeah yeah. So it's it's a nice system. Um, and the salary can vary quite a lot. It's, it's Depending not, on it's, where you live and yeah. where you go. So. It's not usually very much, right? It's usually mm-hmm. pretty small, but um, it's... But you it's, can live, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's usually enough to, to live on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it can be a bit weird, you know, the experience of being in grad school and, mm-hmm. and making a pretty low amount mm-hmm. and seeing your uh, your colleague, like the people you mm-hmm. went through undergrad with, mm-hmm. you know, they, they go off and get jobs where they're paid a lot more and they start, like... They start like buying houses and cars, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, oh, it's like, oh, oh. So, okay, yeah. Um, but honestly, um, if you love science and you love what you're doing, that uh, that that that's a big part of it, right? That's a big part of the appeal. It's like, well, I really, really like what I'm doing. And yeah, I mean, it's that that's that's worth a lot to mm-hmm. me, and mm-hmm. the the flexibility of the job is worth a lot to me. Okay, so you heard about this system? So mm-hmm. yeah, I noticed there are good financial support mm-hmm. and. Um, Maybe it's start change now, but in Japan, usually we don't have those kind of systems. Oh, right, okay. There are only very limited fellowship you could get if you're in, like, a doctoral program, and not many people go to PhD program, mm-hmm. and so it was financially, yeah. you will have a lot of, you know, monies to pay back, or you have to get some loan to go to school, yeah. actually, so... Or if your parents have a ton of money. Yeah, then... of course, if yeah. your parents are rich, that's a different situation, yeah. so... I know it's gonna cost a. I knew it's gonna cost a lot if I go to you know grad school in Japan. So that's why I was a little bit hesitating because I I knew I'm gonna left a lot of with a lot of loans and yeah, stuff. But yeah. and then I noticed the U.S. system like oh they financially support to you know educate and you know work with professors mm. and students. So that, that was really fascinating <laughs> true. to me. You can still get some nasty surprises like you know you yeah. you show up and you start working and they're like oh by the way we're gonna take out. Three thousand dollars for yeah. health insurance at the start of the semester. Like, I I know those things could happen. Yes, there are different situations, and I think I was extremely lucky yeah. when I went to U.S. But yeah. yeah, I know there are many situations I heard later from from my friends. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway, so I, I I knew those system, but I I also thought I do need to know a field a bit more in, mm-hmm. in Japan and to do prepare preparation. So, yeah. so I got a chance to go to. Um, I can kind of like an internship in a national institute. I was in a master's program in the same university where I went for undergrad, and, but I did have a chance to, you know, do some research in actual institute in Japan. So, so where, I I had a little that? bit of oh, it's called um. Ooh, 
I forgot the full name. I, I know、yeah. the acronyms, but、yeah. it's it's a national center for snow and ice type of research, and I was studying atmospheric circulation there actually. Okay. Collaborating with the the researchers. What's the acronym? Huh? What's the, what's the acronym? I think it was NEES, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah.、Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty lucky. Like people supported me on going there. Had some research experiments. End up in publication. So and I get to know the community there,、mm. which was good and bad actually, to be honest. Because、uh, on on one hand, it's good to know there are a lot of you know research disciplines and people do a lot of exciting things. But I, to be honest, I also felt a little bit lacking. Diversity when I went to conference in Japan because、mm. of course the community is smart and understandable, but it's a small community and it's it's、mm-hmm. it's not super close to,、um, like, you know, the, it, it's a little bit hard. Well, for me to、mm-hmm. get there, for example,、mm-hmm. so like for folks from Europe and、mm-hmm. the U.S., it's、mm-hmm. it's not super easy to hop over there. So I、exactly. imagine that isolates things a little bit. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I understand the situation, but I guess that's why、um, AGU did、mm-hmm. this joint. AGU and the Japanese Geological yes, they, Society. Yes, they, they, they do that. They try to do these joint meetings. JPGU, yes. Yeah, they think, still do that every couple of years. I think. I think they're doing that to try to address that problem, right? So, I so I think so. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it's changing, so that that's good. But but my time, of course, you know, Meteorological Society is、uh, not not super huge, and and the other thing was usually, you know, the groups from the same university tend to gather, which which I understand because you have something common. But I thought. The objective of conferences to exchange more information than just to <laughs>、mm. just to mix up and、yeah. that was in a little unique situation. So, so I felt like oh, so you have to be in one of those group to really get in. And、mm. I thought I I I don't want to do that. I just want to be in more diverse, different background situation. And so that really pushed me going. So you started to see that there's a there was a small set of groups that、yeah. like you have to be connected to exactly these、yeah. groups. And it's true in a lot of places. I、right? know, it's, yeah. And it's not, it's not great, and it's not fair, but it's part of how it's just. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know the solution to it, but it's part、yeah, of how、really. humanity、mm-hmm. works. You know, we get into these groups, and、mm-hmm. you get to know people. I mean, it's one of the things. Like, if you're, if if you get a letter of、mm-hmm. recommendation from、mm-hmm. somebody who's really、mm-hmm. well known in the、mm-hmm. field, it will carry more weight than. From somebody who yeah, could be just as good, but maybe just isn't as plugged in and、mm-hmm. well well known. Unfortunately, I mean that's that's the sad that, <laughs> that's that the sad, sad reality. I, I but people do respond more. I think it's fair to say people respond more to folks that they know and the folks no, that they, they know I mean, and trust as folks. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So if they get a letter of recommendation from someone they know and they trust, know, yeah, it's gonna be a different like,、ah, impression. I, I do I trust understand this person's、that. judgment. Exactly. But it does mean that you get these clicks, you know, these groups that are like kind of maybe hard to get into or to exactly pen- penetrate into. Particularly for early grad student, if you're not part of the group, it was really just hard for me to get in. Yeah. So. So yeah.、Mm, yeah. So that's one of the tricky things you have to navigate somehow. Yeah.、Um, I guess network. As much as you can and network like crazy、mm-hmm. is all I all I really know how to say,、um, yeah. So you you met our advisor Takaito, yeah. You know in Japan, right? At, at actually、think? no, I just applied. Oh, you just applied. Yeah,、okay. and he found my application from pool of <laughs> applications. I remember that. Nice to Colorado State. Exactly.、University. Yeah. So yeah. That was just one of the places you saw. How did you learn about it? I mean. Oh yeah. On- so the way I learned Colorado State is by actually reading papers. So by、yep. by that time when I was in Japan, you know, studying atmospheric circulations, 
um, octet constellation, northern annular mode, which is pretty well-known concept now. It, it's a large-scale patterns of atmospheric circulation in the northern hemisphere. That became really well-known in the field, and the study got really active, and I just try to follow who defined this thing, you yeah. know, using some statistical tools, and, and I, I end up finding the name David Thompson mm -hmm. and John Michael Wallace, so I was right. like, and there was two options. I mean, you know, Mike Wallace is very well known in the field and many people in Japan also knew and some of his uh, students also doing professor in Japan now. But, but I somehow thought, hmm, I, I know they're big names, but it might be more interesting to go somebody who's young and just started doing, I, I don't know why, but I just, and I, was, I got really interested in Dave Thompson. I was like, mm. ah, so where is he? And Paul had a state. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed it's a very well-known meteorology, you know, department, and it's yeah. a very strong program. I, I noticed that later, actually, yeah, to yeah. be honest. But <laughs> yeah, and no, I, I got kind of lucky mm -hmm. in that way too. It was kind of, it was a little bit random. I, I found Colorado mm -hmm. State just googling, honestly. Like <laughs> we were, I, I uh, you know, not not to talk mm -hmm. too much about about me here in the middle mm -hmm. of your podcast, but in the middle of your episode. But um, yeah, I I knew that I wanted. To mm -hmm. get into the kind of climate, climate yeah. related uh -huh. uh, world, research world, mm -hmm. and I just started, you know, googling for possible places yeah. to go, and uh, Colorado State came up, and I did the same thing as you. We you know mm -hmm. I just applied, and mm -hmm. then Taka reached out exactly to, to me, send, which was really me nice. Sent us an email. I was like, hmm. really kind, kind of him to reach out and you know to extend that that invitation to like you know right. that, that was really good. Um, so yeah, yeah that, so you moved there. So yeah, Fort Collins. that was the starting, and and then Taka gave um, an opportunity, so I decided to move to Colorado. Yeah. After I finished my first master's in physics in Japan. What did you think when you first showed up, like to Colorado, to Fort Collins? Um, your kind of first impressions and. First impression was, it's it's not a huge city, but it, it seems like a very friendly city actually, yeah. and and luckily they had you know a lot of international activities, which I I noticed later it's a very active. A Colorado State, and so I was lucky enough because they usually have a summer barbecue, right? And and then I get to see many many people from CSE on local, which yeah, a summer welcome barbecue, yeah, exactly. Those are important if you're you know for the folks who are moving there. It's a brand new city. It's very important that that brand was a, that was really good actually. Yeah, to have that introduction, like welcome, mm -hmm. welcome to the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that department. The atmospheric science department out there is really good at that sort of welcoming activity, bringing yeah. people department in. department was good, yeah. school itself was good, and yeah. the local community was really good. So everything just went really well. So That's the thing. you get. It's so important to feel connected to the research community, mm -hmm. to feel plugged in in that way. Um, yeah, so you started working there. Yeah, so it was. I think it was very. I was very lucky starting there because I didn't have too much difficult he's adjusting to different culture because people are so friendly mm. and actually I found out that's not always the case in the United States it, yeah, it depends yeah. on states and schools but yeah Colorado's a nice laid-back place I think friendly, so friendly inclusive place mm -hmm. I really like it I miss it it's a great place to me be. too actually yeah. yeah yeah um yeah so you so you know kind of like me you had a general interest in you know, climate, earth system, weather, right? That sort climate of broad dynamics, area. atmospheric circulation, yeah. air sea coupled processes. That that really, was my initial interest. It's yeah. kind of random. We ended up as oceanographers because it was a function of the opportunities that were in right. front of us. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. So Is that I think fair to say? <laughs> Taka read my application, and I also put the you know oceans also important. That I thought I thought I want to understand as a system, not yeah. just atmosphere but ocean. So I think 
that caught up his interest and he just invited you know me coming into this ocean biochemical yeah. cycles which i knew nothing about those things by that time but <laughs> yeah yeah so now now you're an oxygen expert yeah you know, now you're uh, uh, you've got a phd and you're a published <laughs> yeah. oxygen expert mm-hmm. and so yeah congrats on the paper that you just oh yeah out about this morning just got accepted, got accepted yeah that's awesome <laughs> Do you That's want to great. talk about the paper a little bit? Do you want to say like what you did? Oh, that? And, like the, the kind of. So um. There's a way to summarize it a little bit. Yeah, I I know these skills are important, but I'm still like training myself, <laughs> oh, yeah. trying to. Explain. No, no pressure. no pressure. Um, it's about kind of a a long time scale, uh, problem. So we wanted to know ba- basically how you know climate change, global warming impacts in general on ocean biogeochemical cycles and particularly my interest was on oxygen so I use you know some of the outputs from like those fancy big earth system model plus I did my own experiments using uh, what we call a numerical model which is kind of an we call it intermediate complexity it's not as complicated as whole earth system model but it's an ocean only model and we try to better understand what's going on in the system and it was it was a long paper actually and Mm. and really the reviewer gave a good critical comments on it yeah you said you had one happy reviewer and and i like to say one grumpy reviewer yeah but one strict reviewer i would say and yeah but those are those can be helpful it was really actually in the end helpful you know finding you know some of the you know mismatch and i have to be fair you know try to cite previous studies i I, we are course trying to be fair but sometimes you miss something sure that's what the whole review process exactly really help try to critically think what we're doing and what i'm doing you can round out the edges exactly yeah more complete body of a more complete piece of work yeah so it did really improve the quality of the paper which i really think and um, what did you find out do you have like a do you have a take-home sort of message to did you have to do the plain language summary that's a new thing I think it's a good thing. It is, yeah. Um, so one of the interests for oxygen communities to know, you know, future evolution of what we call oxygen minimum zones, which the oxygen concentration is re- uh, very low compared to, you know, other locations. Yeah. And of course, you know, life needs basically oxygen yeah. to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember somebody asking me in the comprehensive exam, like, so why do you study oxygen? Like, oh, that's a very fundamental <laughs> question, but... I, Tell them to hold their breath. Yeah, it's <laughs> important for living, basically. <laughs> hold your breath. <laughs> I like that minutes. answer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I should have said that. But So, yeah, and anyways, we try to understand what's going to happen under global warming. But, but the open question is, it's very uncertain. Because, of course, it's not just tropical ocean, but tropical ocean is definitely one of the locations it's really hard to simulate. Yeah. from physical perspective circulation wise and also the redistribution and yeah organization of all the tracers which is the oxygen is my and i just wanted to add too that like mm-hmm. you know the idea that you know oxygen is important for marine life mm-hmm. and marine ecosystems mm-hmm. and lots of coastal communities depend on, exactly yeah. depend on mm-hmm. fisheries is mm-hmm. a big part of their mm-hmm. food source and their mm-hmm. economy mm-hmm. it's like so it has big human impacts as well exactly you know, and and it does I mean, it, it connects into the climate in some way as well. Exactly. You know, as part of the climate system. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I interrupted. But no, it's you, good. You know. Yeah. So we try to explain what's going on, you know, in the prediction of the current generation model and what could be the potential, basically, uncertainty. Like, this 
process could basically change the results and it's kind of all those kind of yeah. synthetic kind of results but I think it's important that we try to explain and quantify you know the consequence of circulation and biology impacting on the global warming to those oxygen minimum zones and how the oxygen right. level changes so circulation and biology exactly yeah, it's a combined effect yes and it's really hard to quantify in general and to observe of course so and oxygen let's just talk about the eastern tropical pacific mm -hmm. one for now so that is not right at the surface, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of between, you know, 300, 800 meters. Right, it's that more, range. I think it people call subsurface, so a bit deeper, I would say, maybe. Yeah. Why is it there? Why do we have an oxygen minimum zone in that spot? Like, is that... Oh, um, I think it's both about consequence of... Um, if you, you're in the physical oceanography, mm -hmm. so, so it's, you know, it's, uh, you know less poor ventilated region those regions are compared to other regions so yeah when we say ventilated yeah so a region of the ocean that's ventilated mm -hmm. has recently communicated with the atmosphere e exactly and yes a, but those regions are not recently communicate with the, yeah. the atmosphere yeah and by communicated there's like there's air there's an air sea gas exchange mm -hmm. step at the surface and then there's yeah. a subduction step exactly going down supplying into the ocean yeah and there's yep. the transport step to get, mm -hmm. you know, that oxygen-rich water. Mm -hmm. So the tropical Pacific, the eastern tropical Pacific, is not well ventilated. No, as a shadow means, zone in the yeah. technical jargon. And yeah. also, it, it's, it's an upwelling region, so you get a lot of nutrient supply from the bottom. So that means you have enough nutrients to sustain those biological activities. So it's I think it's kind of a reinforcement to some extent. So you do need biology to make those certain oxygen minimum layers because the organic matter falls down when you have a production at the surface and then that's going to respire or remineralize back into in inorganic. With, with, we, used of, we, used, we used a lot of jargon there. Yeah, I wonder, so, if, we can, sorry. I wonder if we can um, Basically it's like back breathing. up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's break down the biology part yeah, of it. Sure. So and help, help me out here. So at the surface you've got phytoplankton exactly yeah you know, and they take in sunlight mm -hmm. and nutrients you need nutrients and, to sustain production yeah. yeah so they undergo photosynthesis mm -hmm. which creates uh, organic which, which, matters yeah they're they're uh, taking in carbon dioxide mm -hmm. and releasing oxygen exactly in the yeah. surface in the surface yeah and then the next kind of level on the mm -hmm. the trophic level as they call it you know the zooplankton mm -hmm. Uh, consume some phytoplankton yep. mm -hmm. and in the process they are um, consuming oxygen mm -hmm. right so they do, yeah. that's all happening at the surface mm -hmm. so how does that connect to what's happening in the, to the biology of the oxygen minimum zone so right. um right so at the surface there are photosynthesis and as you said zooplankton activities going and there's also air sea gas exchange right. so so despite the fact that you know some you know, organisms do consume oxygen by respiration. It's still oxygen is pretty rich at the surface. Yes, yeah, because it can just exchange with the atmosphere. Right, exactly. Yeah, That's the most bigger effect. Mm -hmm. But once you know organic, you know, matters from you know photosynthesis, they produce organic matters, or you know, uh, zooplankton, phytoplankton could die. There are all sorts of reasons you can make like some some chunk of organic matters at the surface and. You know, when certain sides came up, it, it's going to sink with basically the gravity. Right, okay, so zooplankton, you know, it's can not just zooplankton, but all those organic, organic activities. Can, right, yeah. Things, you know, the living things can, can die and produce, you know, die, fecal poop, pellets and, and things. everything. And yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it, then it's sinking. Yeah, exactly. Sink, yeah, to the 
more to the depths that we're talking about. Right, exactly, what, to the interior ocean. Yeah, yeah, and then what happens at those depths? So at certain depths, of course, um, it starts to um, degrade with partly like bacterial activities and there's respiration going on. So okay. you basically so decompose the organic matter. So there's bacteria again. that's feeding on the basically. organic mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. And when they do it, they are consuming oxygen? They, they consume oxygen yeah. and they degradate all these organic, you know, carbons and also nutrients including, yeah. and they, they push inorganic stuff back into the, the water. So that's why I mean by degradating inside the ocean. And of course, there's no photosynthesis if you left the surface layer or yeah. the gas exchange. So so what is, when you push more, you said, mm -hmm. um, you know, the bacteria, mm -hmm. they convert that organic stuff, mm -hmm. the organic carbon, uh, back into an inorganic mm -hmm. form because they're you know eating they're consuming the basically yeah eating you know, consuming yeah. respiring there's there's many words and i think biologically they're very strict on definition well, maybe but i just yes, you know but it's super jargony exactly and it yeah. makes it a bit impenetrable for exactly. folks who aren't already really familiar right. with the terms and things so that's part of why i pushed a little bit to like mm -hmm. can we just say let's try to say it right. in a really simple way because if we get real strict then only only the biologist will understand right, what, what yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> well, maybe biologically, I think I'm not following the specific, you know, their definitions. So Pro I, probably not. Yeah, they I can do. they can call me and complain. It's fine. Yeah. They can. <laughs> it's 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 cool if they want to. That's fine. It's very uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay if they want to tell me. Um, so, uh, so that's the, the the fact that those oxygen minimum zones, mm -hmm. the one in the Pacific. It's not well ventilated. It's not connected to the rest of the ocean in a very efficient, rapid kind of way. Right. Uh, the mixing is pretty shallow in mm -hmm. the tropics, and it takes a long time to get water from the high latitudes, mm -hmm. where water tends to sink exactly and yeah. start to flow equatorwards mm -hmm. towards you know towards the equator. Mm -hmm. uh, so because of that slow circulation time scale mm -hmm. and the lack of strong mixing mm -hmm. at the surface, and the additional effect of the bacteria biology is um, very important consuming yes. the oxygen exactly right down it's, it's like respiration so you respire to to gain you know energy in your life and mm -hmm. and basically when, when you do that you use up oxygen yeah. and you breathe out carbon so right you take in the oxygen and you use it to mm -hmm. release the chemical potential energy stored in right your, in exactly your food and so, so basically it's that that process happening there yeah. so then so then you use up oxygen and um and then when the again organic matter falls out and dissolves, what's going to happen is they're going to release inorganic stuff into the water column. And what happens to that inorganic stuff? Um, it's dissolved and it's going to could be circulated away mm -hmm. or yeah, it could be upwelled again and it's going to recycle and sustain the the surface um, biological activity again. Right. So it depends yeah. on circulation yeah. strongly. So that's what I mean by it's a redistribution going on. That's part of why it's such a cool system because it has both those physical and biological exactly so it. that that's why they have a regional differences depending on how those are and of course i think biologically the, the species living there are also different and they have a different chemical process yeah. i'm sure going on so i know there's been some nice literature about the you know the, the size of the oxygen minimum mm -hmm. zone yeah and if i remember right it's been getting bigger right it's, it is yeah, that that's what bigger. we, we know claim from observation bigger? Um, so the most simple explanation, people first, you know, think of the consequence of global warming, yeah. basically. So if you warm up the ocean, uh, 
course, first of all, you you will get less gas dissolved in in the water when yeah. the temperature goes. Because I just explain as a solubility. Solubility, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That you can get more gas into cold water exactly, than you yeah. can into warm water. Mm -hmm. So when you warm water up, it tends to release gas release or, gases right or you know you, you can think of it as it's harder to get gas to stay in, mm -hmm. in the warm water right okay that's a really simple way to put it yes yeah, i just explained to adults like think of a warm beer it's it's not good because all the gas just exists <laughs> for kids i just say warm coke or something yeah. because i can't say beer to kids but <laughs> in, well in the uk they have room temperature beer you know it's pretty common for them to have room temperature beer. oh you know they still so. have gas in it <laughs> yeah there's, there's still some gas yeah in it. yeah there's still there's Excuse me, it hasn't totally degassed the the, so um, so the so partly it's that partly it's the, that that's not the whole story. the solubility effect, mm -hmm. and what else is going on? Um, so also people think that uh, if you warm up the surface ocean, it's going to basically, I would say stabilize or stratify it in the jargon, but I would yeah. say stabilize so it will just prevents from pushing water, so, down into the ocean. So right, it makes it harder to. Uh, ventilate exactly the, that part of the ocean. It makes it harder to form cold water that will then you know sink and right, right, uh, exactly get oxygen rich water water into the uh, ocean. Into the so the supply is going to go down basically. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So both. So it's largely circulate. So those those are the physical reasons why that oxygen mm -hmm. minimum zone might be mm -hmm. changing. Has there been a change in the biology, or probably we don't know because we don't have enough measurements? I'm guessing of the the, the specifically the biological That's true. component of it. That's um, true. Very simple explanation people think of is actually it's counter effects. So um, when when the circulation get more or less mixing happens in the warmer world, that means you won't get enough nutrients from the bottom. So that means if you have less nutrients to the surface, basically the biological um, production is going to go down. Okay. So if, if you connect to that complicated organic matter, you know, um, production things at the back, because if you have less production at the surface, you, you have less stuff to sink into the ocean right. through, you know, fecal pellets or, you know, um, some so, organic matter. Okay. Uh, detritus or... Yeah. So I think what you're saying is that because you won't have as much mixing in mm -hmm. the surface, mm -hmm. that... You won't have as much nutrients exactly for the surface for like the phytoplankton. Right, right. To sustain the activity. Right. So that will decrease the amount of carbon that, Production, like, yeah. that sinks mm -hmm. into the interior. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that the bacteria Right, basically are, are use eating. oxygen to degrade it. Right, right. To they're, they're eating decompose that yeah. stuff. Eating. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, use super go simple. Yeah. I'm gonna like eating super, is fine. Yeah, it's way too. It's it's um, oversimplifying it, but I think that's it's it's that's good. Necessary yeah. for I really have to think to like, <laughs> work on this stuff. I, I want to keep it like really not jargony if I can. You know, I'll, I'll try if, if we yeah. can. Yeah. Um, so the so it's a counter effect. Yeah. So now there's less stuff for the bacteria to eat, right? For them to consume. Mm -hmm. So actually, that will decrease their you know uh, oxygen consumption. So right. I think that's what you meant by saying counter oh, that, that's effect, a counter yeah. counter effect. That if you, okay, and we don't know you know the balance of those two. Obviously, we don't know you know there are huge what, what that's going to because we cannot fully simulate biology in the ocean up to now. And even the physics, you know, we're still working. Even on the physics, physics, yeah, you know, of course, yeah. yeah so I mean. We, we in terms of climate change we have the first order picture it's really solid exactly, like we yeah. know mm -hmm. you know you put more co2 in the atmosphere yep. you get it more energy up, yeah. down here at the surface it's going to warm up the oceans are going to warm up the thermodynamic arguments we're pretty good at it's pretty solid but yeah. the dynamics and the biology 
we can do some stuff. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not totally we're not hopeless, but not hopeless, the, no, but no, no. but the, uns- the the uncertainties are mm-hmm. bigger there. Exactly. And by uncertainties, we just mean the aspects of it that we don't fully understand. Yet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that, there that, are many things to study, basically. Yeah, but we we have we have some knowledge, and it's not like we are you know t- mm-hmm. totally uh, useless in that way. We we do understand some things mm-hmm. as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that those are the areas that need more work. That, mm-hmm. that, that we don't have to keep coming back to this mm-hmm. question of, mm-hmm. you know, will CO2 warm the surface? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely going to... We don't have to go back to that question over and over no, again. No, no, no. But there are things that we are working on. Exactly. To, yeah, yeah. So that's one of my central topics still working on it from different, you know, models okay. or observations, of course. And that's what your paper was digging into is some of it's these It's digging into models. Of exactly, yes. Yeah. And trying to explain more into mechanisms what what our model does. Hmm. So what did you find? What are some of the big um, sources of uncertainty that you are hoping to, you know, clamp down on that, you're, that we're hoping to resolve? If you don't mind kind of summarizing it a bit. Yeah, I think I have to really train for yeah. this kind of thing, as I mentioned. But, um, so, since the originally this research is motivated because I was in the climate field, I started from climate field, so I always wanted to like translate how, you know, changes in the surface climate basically going to impact on all these stuff right. on certain time lengths. And we, we were trying to separate, like, what happens when, like, the wind changes here? Yes. And what happens if you just warm up the ocean and nothing else changes? Or right. what if you change uh, precipitation or water evaporation here? And how that's going to impact on this? We, we were trying to separate all those things. using. So you designed some simple numerical experiments. Exactly, yeah. Where you say, let's just change one thing mm-hmm. and see how At the, the time. system responds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. You're, you're changing one thing, you see how the system responds. Right. And that gets at the... Then you can get some clear fingerprints of mm-hmm. uh, wind-driven changes look like this. Mm-hmm. And you know, heat-driven changes mm-hmm. look like, like this. this. Yeah. And then when you look at the real ocean mm-hmm. or the response in a complicated model, mm-hmm. which has all of those processes going exactly. on... Exactly, which can is see hard some to the, disentangle sometimes. Yeah. That's right, yeah. You can see some of the fingerprints mm-hmm. of, oh, okay, but this aspect of it... That's really good. No, I like that. I like yeah. that approach. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing. And um, obviously warming do play a huge role, which is also consistent with other studies uh, from the Earth system models. But we also think wind is a really tricky. I mean, I can't definitely say which time scale, but I think I realize, you know, if you people do, you know, changing wind, how the circulation respond type of thing, I think a lot, mm-hmm. in, even in physics yeah, and yeah. also in biogeochemistry. But um, trying to figure out, it's of course we know it's model dependent, but it, I think it's really sensitive than I, than we expected. And even for example, your expertise, Southern Ocean, I think there are you know many ways of changing winds. And of course you start from very simplified case, but of course reality it's very complicated mm-hmm. in time and space. And I think those all includes potentials to change the amount of stuff supplied in the ocean via changes in you know circulation and yeah, i think we sure. don't have a definitive answer on this because different model formulation or design actually shows a different result and mm. um i think this is going to continue for a while 
And, yeah, um, that uh, different mo models respond in different ways. Wind right, stress changes exactly, and it's not yeah. just about ocean problem because it's the atmospheric problem. Because also simulating atmospheric patterns in you know future climate change also has uncertainties, and we really, we kind of briefly know how you know the jet's going to change in the global warming world and stuff. But yeah. well, I guess I like to picture it like a jigsaw puzzle, right? Yeah. And I, I talked about this on this podcast mm -hmm. before that. You know, in terms of understanding the climate system, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's like a jigsaw puzzle, and that we've got the big pieces in place, right? And now we're trying to fill in the gaps mm -hmm. that we have. Exactly. Yeah. To, mm -hmm. This piece doesn't quite fit here. Mm -hmm. Let's put it over here. So understanding how the you know changes in the wind are mm -hmm. going to affect the ocean. Mm -hmm. Part of why that's so big, and, and is that the ocean, um, like you're alluding to, a lot of that is driven by the wind, which surprises people people mm -hmm. who don't uh, who aren't super familiar with the ocean already, that's true yeah they're mm -hmm. surprised to hear that like yeah, yeah a huge amount of ocean mm -hmm. circulation is just driven by the wind, wind yeah. on top of it it's very important yeah. i think um you know i once saw an undergraduate conceptual mm -hmm. physics textbook uh with just a completely wrong explanation oh. for ocean circulation uh -huh. they'd even drawn a little schematic and uh -huh. everything and it's clear that they had not talked to one oceanographer oh. or one person <laughs> wow. who because this little diagram was like, oh, well, yeah, you know, the ocean circulation is driven by heat from hydrothermal vents. <laughs> that the heat from the hydrothermal vents warms up the water and makes it, you know, uh, ascend to the surface because now it's lighter and that drive. Just completely wrong. Just completely 100. And I, um, it was this uh, Hewitt conceptual physics textbook. Uh -huh. I hope they fixed it by now. But uh -huh. good, good night. And I get like, just, just so wrong. Um, and, uh, I mean, this course, is this textbook is being used to, you know, teach thousands of undergraduates all oh. over the United States, mm -hmm. and it's just completely... <laughs> has, they didn't have one earth science ocean type person review, oh, okay. you know, any of these statements, I guess, or, or somebody would have caught that. Um, so I, I guess I'm only bringing that up to, you know, emphasize the, like, I guess we need to talk more. We need to, we need to, like, right. you know, how does the ocean work? Um, it feels like the basics of, like, no, knowing that it's driven by wind mm -hmm. and by you know, heat loss at the high mm -hmm. latitudes. Mm -hmm. If you take a, if you have a physics degree, you should probably at least know that level mm -hmm. of, uh, of how the ocean works. You don't have to have a whole course on it. You don't have no, to. No, you have, don't have whole, to. Right. But you know, maybe like a, a lecture or two would be nice. Uh, even a morning or something. It would be great. <laughs> yeah. And I know yeah. my friends asking a lot about what I'm doing, which is. Usually I'm not super good at explaining, which I really well, need to, yeah. It's our job, I guess. we got to get this out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got to get these basic things out there, don't mm -hmm. we? Yeah. Um, yeah. So your, but your friends, so your friends like working in other areas ask you about, you know. Not even that. that. It's just, you know, like my family, oh, yeah. parents, just my friends doing totally different jobs. Some people teach elementary school and, you yeah. know. Outreach is important. Yeah, we got, Outreach we is important. That, that's what I start to realize after I moved to postdoc because it's a big EU project that yeah. I'm, you know, funded by. And then I do have, a you know, more opportunity to talk to general audience. I think yeah. it's going to come up and also realize writing a paper. I think I, I, I'm a bit too much stuck in what I'm really doing and I have to really learn mm. to explain more in general, like why is this important and why do we want to know this? Yeah. And yeah. Can I ask you some quick questions? Sure. Yeah. Do you like writing? How, how's the writing process for you? <laughs> <laughs> it's still very challenging yeah. for me. Um, yeah, I'm so surprised some people write really, really fast. Yeah. But, 
I'm not that type of person. I still need to, you know, proceed slowly every day and just going back and forth, back and forth, iterating and iterating and iterating. And, yeah, and, I understand that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. it's. I think it's the same for most people, including native speakers. Of course, yeah. grammatically, it's very challenging to some extent for non-native speakers. But Well, I've gotten the advice, and I'm trying to get better at this, mm-hmm. that the first thing you should do, and it could be different for everybody. This isn't supposed to be general advice or anything, mm-hmm. but a lot of folks say that they will try to write the first draft really mm-hmm. quickly. They'll mm-hmm. just like, let's get something on paper and just get it down, mm-hmm. and then you can edit that and work on it over time. You know, that it can feel awful to just be stuck on like one paragraph. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, that's not what I do. I think actually that's what I learned um, during the course of grad school, talking to people, reading articles, and it, the best way, or even the science, science writer does this, I heard from someone who, who was working at NCAR, I think. I try to remember, but yeah, they, they even said, no, no, we spit out something first, and, and then we started yeah. to go over and over and over again. And <laughs> there's even, an, I think, an article in nature news i forgot something it's mm. pretty short and nice article saying yeah. don't just think about editing just just spit get, out whatever you down. have and and then you go back again and, and try to make that a habit if you want to be more productive i mean i think that's a that was a good article yeah. to read i think do you have like you don't have to have don't don't feel pressured to have like uh-huh. an amazing answer but i just want your short reaction of like what's something you've learned about science like what's if you had if you had like a takeaway message of you know, in your experience of getting into science, so it's something you've learned about you know the way it works that maybe you didn't know before. Ooh, <laughs> like it could be anything. It doesn't have to be. You know, um, let's see if I can think of some examples that that people have given. Um, so, you know, some people talk about how they're surprised how collaborative it mm-hmm. is and how community driven it is. Oh, okay. You know, uh-huh. like yeah, um, because I think from the outside, uh, you you get the impression that science is driven by you know just these lone individuals you know working in isolation right, by themselves. right and then when you get into the field it can be surprising like no no it's a, you know th- there are these you know geniuses who are pushing things along yeah like but yeah, they are sure. also yeah. doing it in a very community driven yeah. way they're working with people mm-hmm. they're communicating with people they're bouncing their ideas off of other folks um so that's that's one like possible mm-hmm. answer and um you know that that uh, and I, th- I think that surprises some people as they're getting into the, you know, how community driven it is. Uh-huh. Um, I think you know, maybe people are surprised about um, how much time they spend writing versus how much time they spend you know, doing right. You do need stuff. to do a lot of writings, and yeah, I I do think it's a community effort. And of course, I was surprised when you know somebody who you know from the paper was super friendly because oh, I yeah. always thought research is like. There you go. Very strict and, yeah. you know, very solid. And I even try to call people, oh, professor somebody, professor doctor somebody. <laughs> Particularly, U.S. was very friendly. I was very surprised. Mm. Even department head was called by, like, a nickname. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this professor something. I was yeah. like, no. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you were surprised by <laughs> the relatively laid back Relatively laid back nature yeah. and, yeah. you know, um, very... F- not everyone, of course. People have a different style, so... That people take their work seriously, mm-hmm. but in terms of that social stuff. Social like, stuff, they're very friendly and nice and don't easily communicate. And um, Yeah. But also, you know, you know, 
researchers also have, of course, any work has a responsibility. So I, you know, when you were kids, you, you always saw scientists, oh, scientists could do whatever you're curious and interested in, mm. which, you know, but in reality, that's not how things work. So you also have to, you know, talk to people who's funding you, actually. Right. There's a yeah. lot of, you know, human dynamics going on. And it's, it's more than like, I have to really realize myself, but you can't just live in a very I- idealized world. Of course, you have a duty and you have a, you know, task to do every time yeah and you, you have to get funding and you have to show that your work is yeah, relevant and exactly and meaning, there's always a time and, limit and yeah yeah that's right that you don't have total freedom to just do whatever right you it's not something you picture when you were a kid like <laughs> oh scientists should have a total freedom they can do you know whatever they're curious about yeah. and no that's you not just walk into your office yeah, exactly. every day and go what gigantic problem am i going to tackle today and yeah it's more you have all these administrative responsibilities exactly yeah these day-to-day things right was something you learned about presenting about like getting up in front of people and talking because you know you get practice at that being a scientist mm-hmm. um and i think some people you know if you want an example of mm-hmm. like answers that some people have given it could be um it, it takes i think it takes some people a while to learn how to think about their audience a lot and mm-hmm. how to think about how how is this oh, being yeah. perceived mm-hmm. how is this you know presentation coming across mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so I think that's one possible answer, mm-hmm. yeah, is uh, learning how to think about the audience and think about who's listening. Anything else, anything that you've come across, or do you have a reaction to that? So um, I think there are also cultural difference comes okay, in yeah, for yeah. these things. So one thing I learned about, like, you know, U.S. or, like, more English-speaking thing is people trying to sometimes put humor is in it i mean oh right yeah the jokes I mean, and little exactly i mean it doesn't have to be funny but you you know there are a certain balance trying to you know catch people's interest yeah. which I, I thought was really nice a lot of gestures like it doesn't always happen to be honest in, in japan maybe it's partly cultural and language how systems works and it's like frowning and stricting like right. but that that's not what it is always in you know when i came to the united states some people do really dynamic presentations and i, I really enjoyed that and, and i wish i could balance those things well, mm. which is very challenging for me to do in a limited time and you know of course it's not my first language and um mm. but also i think i can import those things when i do presentation in my my you know mother tongue like in my language so yeah so yeah, it's it's not as like you know I don't know how to say strict or stiff as I expected. Mm. There there are you know you have to put certain efforts to you know try to it, it's catch catching you know your audience's interest. But mm. is there um I was kind of my mind was wandering mm-hmm. back to science a little bit mm-hmm. back to the oxygen question. Mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering like is there an aspect of the oxygen problem that isn't really getting talked about that much or that because I think you know you see, you see it in the news occasionally, mm-hmm. and I, I think, I don't know if, you know, it is, in terms of the volume of news articles mm-hmm. that are out there and the way mm-hmm. they present it, this deoxygenation mm-hmm. issue, um, I don't know if, um, you know, is is that being talked about enough, or do you have a sense of, 
Does there need to be more of a discussion about this? The, the, the... You mean general or community-wise, or both, maybe? Oh, I guess it could be both. It could okay. be either, you know, scientifically or in the mm. kind of in the news media as well. Like, are, are there parts of the oxygen deoxygenation, you know, kind of problem that just aren't really being addressed? That maybe that, that you would like to see uh, some more noise, or you so, would like to hear some more noise. So when I that? started. Uh, the community was very limited, mm-hmm. and I mean, coastal people I think originally knows the the importance of, of the consequence of you know oxygen level going down, but I think for open ocean I think uh the groups doing oxygen stuff was pretty limited, as, as, and particularly in the deoxygenation direction. So I was uh, lucky to be like in a very pretty early stage on mm. getting involved in these community. Now there's a lot of review papers and you know those nature nature climate change or geoscience paper coming up. People are trying to you know talk to community like this is also an important consequence, not just the you know global warming carbon cycle stuff or acidification stuff, which is also important, but also deoxygenation right, is becoming right. huge. And I'm I'm glad. I mean the community is to start you know grow and. Um, trying to you know those review paper came out and trying to catch people's interest mm-hmm. i think we i personally do need to do more outreach trying to explain to more more general audience and um there are sometimes those you know policy things they didn't have a nice schematics explaining everything in like one you know visualize and pictures and mm-hmm. i was thinking those things are more necessary for the general audience not not just in the english-speaking country but yeah. for myself in the in the Japanese community yeah and that it it needs to be presented as an important potential exactly in, impact yes. of mm-hmm. climate change you know that has real economic consequences exactly for people exactly and yeah. food supply consequences exactly and that, so and but a lot of the attention is just put on uh, climate not not just that's not mm-hmm. a bad it's not a lot of the attention is put on climate ex- extremes or like temperature extremes and right right flooding and all those are important those too, are important acidification. But but oxygen needs to be in the mix mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. Yeah. It needs to be in the mix. And as we keep talking about this, it is it is a combined physics, biogeochemistry problem. So I think we really need to communicate more with the physics people, which is challenging usually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. And there's, um, yeah, it's an interdisciplinary problem. It right? is, so yeah. It's really, it's just crucial to get those links mm-hmm. established. Um Oh, I just had a, a thought on the tip of my, uh, I don't, there's no expression for I just had a thought in my head and now it's evaporated, unfunctionately. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how are you feeling? Do you want to, is there anything else you want to talk about? We've been going, uh, it's been good. It's been I great. Think, yeah, it's been it's, like a nice it's, conversation. We have a nice conversation then. Yeah. Do you want to? Uh, these actually really helps me try to explain something and I realize sometimes how much I do not understand well not or not well you know explained in in a general term and it's like yeah I should really work on this it's a different skill set too yeah exactly yeah being able to explain things simply and and you know without using any jargon it's very challenging yeah and that's part of the whole you know the the plain language abstract uh, right I think I think that's a good a new challenge in a journal, I think. Yeah, it's a great, uh, a, a really important. I, I'm glad they're doing that. It's mm-hmm. a great activity. A great uh, activity is not the word I wanted mm-hmm. at all. It's a great um, incentive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my, uh, my my tongue is all tied up. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> but um, gosh, you know, we 
I'm sorry to have to end it. I wish we could go on because this is a really good chat. But yeah, I really enjoyed chatting. Get yeah. my son. We, we could do another one of these at some point and continue. You can come back. That will be great, and I think I'll try to make a, a bit of a good summary of more on the the oxygen world. Or not not limited to that. I'm I'm also hoping yeah. to expand a bit more. And ultimately, also, it's not just about physics and biogeochemistry. The the other important part is you know. Earth has, you know, land, atmosphere, and ocean systems, and those are the other parts we also need to communicate. And I don't know, you might also notice, but atmospheric scientists and, for example, oceanographers, they think a bit differently. That's yeah, yeah. my personal impression. Sure, yeah. But you're trying to fill in the gap between the two. So that's why I thought, like, you know, we went to the atmospheric science department also, so we, we really had a good chance mm. to expose both communities. Mm. So mm-hmm. if we can bridge those things a bit more. Yeah, for sure. Better, and, and I think a, that will really uh, that's really necessary. And, and in yeah. a broader way, I was thinking about mm-hmm. your story of you know seeing the stuff your dad was watching, the doc- documentaries mm-hmm. your dad mm-hmm. was watching, that were talking about ocean circulation, mm-hmm. and that they probably didn't spend a ton of time on it, but just showing a graphic and talking about it was enough to spark your imagination mm-hmm. and to make you aware that oh, the ocean could be part of the, the climate, climate system. system. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's we got to have that stuff mm-hmm. you know in documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, often science documentaries understandably mm-hmm. are mostly like animal driven mm-hmm. or mostly like here's you know a cute animal being chased oh, by a, a bunch point. of scary yeah. animals <laughs> and that's fine that's I important too, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, but um, you know maybe some schematics <laughs> maybe some right, like yeah. just talk briefly about mm-hmm. like hey the ocean circulation mm-hmm. does matter for climate you know because there's, there's kids watching and there's people who don't know this right yeah. and even just hearing that idea you know, you could spend two minutes on it, mm-hmm. and that might, you know, really open up yeah, it be a new area great. of yeah. knowledge for people just mm-hmm. to be aware that that connection exists. Um, so that becomes like a responsibility. <laughs> Something I'm really sad to, to think, know. yeah, first preparing, you know, not just, you know, climate and ocean, but also to put a bit more bio-geo in it and yeah. simple schematic. And... we got to do that now. We yeah, gotta, we gotta... I really want to <laughs> do that, yeah. <laughs> we got to communicate this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, let me think. Anything else? you want to talk about this time again we, you can come back another time yeah we can, um, maybe we can have part two if that's oh yeah that's okay with you yeah because we just scratched the surface i think and just started to kind of get really comfortable talking for a while right uh, because yeah this is a good starter explaining or sharing personal experience but also you might notice but there are still too many people you know, from Japan coming to graduate school abroad. So if I can share a little bit more on that side and what's the challenges and, yeah. you know, what will be the difference. I mean, it's just an opportunity that will open oh. up. So For sure. Oh, SOCOM, that was the question. So the SOCOM floats, mm-hmm. they have oxygen. They do, yeah. Them. How is that going to change things for your field for um, oxygen? I think we need a bit more time to to monitor for a little longer time scale. Yeah. But I, I think you know, it's great that we have actual measurement in a very you know um, high latitude where it's usually very intense. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's often difficult to observe. And yeah, one one of the it's not just maybe about oxygen; it's for other things too. It's it's very hard to monitor. You know, even constantly in time and you know space. Uh, but we need need all those informations to yeah. understand what's <laughs> happening in the reality. So it's a pretty exciting opportunity. I'm sure there's a there's a huge gap if you're trying to bridge that to 
what we simulate or what we try to explain from the theory but yeah if you could design a, an oxygen observing system where would you put it <laughs> like, where, where do you want in there tropics in tropics yeah <laughs> i definitely we, we definitely want in the tropics also yeah yeah mm-hmm. in the in the minimum zone of in a minimum zone full depth it, top, top to bottom top like, to bottom know. in the pacific atlantic indian it, yeah. yeah all the basins so we need some oxygen moorings can we do that? Can we do it like a... That would be great, actually, yeah. yeah. Oxygen mooring stations. It's like the RA monitoring El Nino. It would be yeah. great if they have a biogeochemical sense to keep on... Because those are the sensitive regions. Uh, we, we would like to monitor. And also, also there are, that's the place we have a huge uncertainties. And we still don't have a solid answer what's going to happen in the next decades or centuries. Yeah. Well, and especially for the communities you know, who rely on it. That's going to be super right, important yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Well, thank you, hey. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and feel free to come back. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was time. great. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it. Uh, nice. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry again to have to cut it, but I gotta, I gotta cut Yeah, <laughs> we do have time. Yeah, no, that's right. Okay, I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and stop it. There you have it, my conversation with Dr. Yohei Takano. I hope you enjoyed that. You can find Yohei on Twitter at Yohei Takano3, the number's three there on the end. And if you want to check up on this deoxygenation conference that happened in Kiel this past week. Uh, check out the hashtag Ocean Deoxygenation and also the account at Deoxyocean. Okay. I'm at Dan Jones Ocean. The podcast account is at ClimateSciPod on Twitter. Uh, so please feel free to send feedback my way if there's anything you'd like to say, guests that you'd like to see in the future. I did want to say I've got two guests uh, on the books coming up over the next few weeks. So if you have any questions for them, uh, you can send them to me by Twitter or email. And the guests are, uh, first I have Dr. Bianca Perrin, who is a, works in paleoclimate at the British Antarctic Survey. And, uh, and uh, a little bit later after that, I have oceanographer David Marshall. Looking forward to it. Send me feedback, questions. Talk to you later. Thanks for downloading. Bye.